You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, good morning. Let's get our Bibles out and turn to John chapter 17. Uh, John chapter 17, as we uh, finish up our Messy Church series uh, this week, Church is Messy Work. It's messy, no different than your family's messy or your workplace is messy because uh, we have people with different backgrounds and different needs and coming together and uh, it's messy. Uh, as we've been uh, trying to take a look at it though, we want to make sure we honor the Lord because church wasn't our idea, it's his idea and, and we need to honor Christ in the way that we live. And in the series, we talked about in a message that we're in it together, even with the diversity, even with the differences, we're still in this thing in Christ's church, we're in it together. And then we talked about in a message, what is the church and the reality that the church is to be done his way and for his glory and, and we don't get to make it up the way we want to make it up, but rather living uh, within the context of what God's Word says. We went from there to talking about the church in the world, and although we want to be relevant to the culture, we will always be counter to the culture, because what is taught in this room and what is taught from the Word of God is so different from what the world believes, and uh, we, in essence, become the enemies. Um, because people don't like what God's Word says and they don't like the truth that we stand in. And, but we're a church in this world. And then we talked about the church being uh, perfected, even though we're not perfect, the imperfect being perfected. Not what I should be, not even what I will be, but certainly not what I was. And, and God growing us and sanctifying us and making us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And last week we looked from Ephesians chapter 6 at ready for battle and how you put on the whole armor of God and, and why that is so critical. And today we want to talk about united in Christ. United in Christ. Now what does unity look like? What does it mean? If, if we were a seeker church... If we were a seeker church, we probably would have started the service out with the song, Why Can't We Be Friends? You know, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? There's lots of reasons why we can't be friends. And there are lots of things that we need to be united about. If we were a seeker church, we would finish the service by all joining hands and singing Kumbaya. Because it's just, how can we all just get along? But that's not what true unity is. And we want to take a look at God's word and see what it means to be united in Jesus Christ. We're going to jump the message out of John chapter 17 today. So why don't you stand? We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start at verse 13. And just this Jesus Christ prayer. And here's what he says in the middle of it, jumping into the middle of it. But now I am coming to you. That's Jesus speaking to the Father. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me uh, where I am uh, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together, to lift our voices in worship to you, and now, Lord, to hold your word in our hands, to be taught from it. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to listen carefully to what your word says, that, God, you would give us minds that we might be able to understand it. And then, Lord, Lord, would you give us hearts to live as a result of it passionately for your glory? Father, the unity in the church is not something to be taken for granted, and I thank you for this church and the blessing that we have to worship like this. And we ask, God, that you would guide and direct us in your word today, challenge our hearts, stir us, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. And Well, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just, every all these people who call themselves Christians, can't we all just get along? Um, unity is a very big topic. And the body of Christ should be demonstrating unity to a world that has no hope. But at what cost? Uh, when does unity stop? When does what we believe and what God has called us to trump uh, what is going on in our world? Uh, this passage we're looking at is an amazing text. John chapter 17 is often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It was the night before Christ goes to the cross and he's done some teaching. They've, they're going to have the Lord's Supper and in the middle of it, he prays this prayer. We, we looked at it a couple of years ago and as we looked at it back then, there were two major points to the message. Firstly, that Jesus is focused on the Father and then the second half of the message, Jesus is focused on his followers and it's out of that that we we find the information for today. He talked about how that, that God would keep them in verses 11 to 13, how God would sanctify them and grow them up in Christ, uh, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth in verse 17, and then how God would unite them. And we're going to take a look at that today. And then in the end, how God would get the glory and, and they would be with him forever in eternity. So unity, unity. Why? Let's define it a little bit and uh, start with the why question. In verse 14, I, I give them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world just as I am not of the world. Uh, we need unity in the church because we are counter the culture. Some would say we're in opposition to the culture. Uh, we are hated by the world. And therefore, unity in the body of Jesus Christ is, is so critical and so important. In Psalm 133, verse 1, it says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Webster's Dictionary says that unity is the state of being in full agreement, a way of combining the parts in a work of art or literature so that they seem to belong to one another. It's just that how do we get to full agreement. 
Now, within Christendom, you have a, a movement, the ecumenical movement. And the ecumenical movement is all, how do we just all get under one roof? How do we all just get along with each other? And, and the problem with the ecumenical movement is that the ecumenical, whoa, the ecumenical movement is willing to sacrifice the Word of God for this thing that's called unity. And we're not willing to do that. And so there comes a point when that's not going to be unity. And we will stand, and we need to stand for what we believe is right. And we're going to talk about all of those things as we get into the message today. But we can never lower the bar by sacrificing the Word of God at the, at the price of peace and getting along with each other. In Philippians 2.2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of, of one mind. Of one mind about what? And we're going to look at that today. We want to see what that would look like and, and what it means. In verse 11 of John 17, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Unity should define the Christian. It's supposed to be the story that we tell how God can take a group of people like this who for no other reason would meet together in a room like this except for Jesus Christ. And so what does that look like in our world? And what is God calling us to? On the surface, the worldly definition of unity might be summarized as we all feel the same way about something and therefore we have, have unity. Now, that's not true unity. Um, often that comes out of compromise and sacrificing of what's really important. And, uh, but there's picture of that kind of unity in Scripture where we all feel the same way about something. Um, Joseph and his brothers, excuse me, Joseph's brothers had unity in their plot to kill him. Um, Israel, when they were uh, convinced to uh, the build the uh, the golden calf, they convinced Aaron to do that, and they, had a, they felt the same way about a thing, and when they were afraid to take possession of the land, they came to unity about that. Unity is far more than feeling the same way about something. It's not we get a vote, and, we'll get a, and then we'll figure it out, and, and, we, and you end up coming down to the lowest common denominator. That's not unity. That's not unity. Not as we see it in the Word of God, that's not what we're called to. Here's what I would say. True biblical unity is characterized by being grounded in the knowledge of God's truth. I'm going to say it again. True biblical unity is characterized by being grounded in the knowledge of God's truth. Being in complete agreement with him in spite of what all others think or do. So unity isn't how do we get to the lowest common denominator so we can all just continue to get along with each other. Unity, rather, is grounded in the truth of God, focused on the truth of God, and then we rally around the truth and what God has called us to. Unity is never identified by the most votes or the most popular thing, but it's, it's, it's demonstrated and it's identified around who is God. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. There were things that they were unified around. 
One of the great passages of unity in the scripture is Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father over all, who, one Father who is over all and through all and in all. We're called to be people of God who live in unity. The secret to unity begins by having a focus on the truth and then a focus off of yourself. So much distraction and so much disunity happens in the church because we get our focus off of God and then we get our focus onto what I want and the things that aren't clear in Scripture become the more important things. Selfishness often drives disunity in the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, Paul said, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behave only in a human way? And then he said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Uh, consider the needs of others. Consider with passion what's going on in their lives and being founded in the truth. Have grace for each other, loving each other. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that, we, that in him we might become the righteousness of, of God. How can we extend love and compassion and, and the grace of our Heavenly Father if we don't have a love and a putting down of our own, quote unquote, our own rights and desires and lifting up who Jesus Christ is and putting him on the throne and the things about him that are critical, making those the things that we are we're about. Unity is not trying to find a way that we can all just get along. True biblical unity is characterized by being grounded in the knowledge of God's truth. Romans 15, 6 says that together you may, be, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this call to unity that we would be one in the word. But there's a difference between unity and uniformity. There's a big difference between unity and uniformity. And that's the second point, unity versus uniformity. Unity, ready? Unity is being grounded on the same things. Unity is being grounded on the same things. Uniformity is about doing the same things the same way. Everyone in lockstep, in a uniform, no deviation. But this is not the pattern of Scripture, and it's not the pattern of God. We're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. Just think about our church. Think about the United Nations that's represented in this room. Think about the different cultures and the different backgrounds. Think about the different giftedness of people and the talents of people and the, and the different needs that people have. We're to be grounded in the same things, but we won't always do the same things 
the same way. In the Psalm 23, when we were looking at that series, he said it leads us in paths, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We're very careful to say that the paths of righteousness are what God works in our lives after we are in relationship with him, right? There's one way to God, only one, through Jesus Christ. There's one way to God through Christ. But in Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of paths that we're on. We're working in all kinds of ways. We all have different interests and different desires. And so what brings us, what brings us unity? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So the way to God is through Jesus Christ. Get that straight. But then in Jesus Christ, we're all on. And there's 400 people in the room, 400 different paths that we're on. And so uniformity is not going to be a good plan because we won't agree on a lot of things. Uh, there are people in the room who think we should wear suits and ties to church. There are people who think it's okay to wear a t-shirt and, and shorts to church. There are people who think you should cut your hair a certain way. There are people who, uh, there's all kinds of room for difference in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna come to what the important things are, but we are to be in unity, not uniformity. I was trying to think of a way I could illustrate that for you, and here's the one I come with. I, I, I tend to know a little bit about food, as you can tell by looking at me. And so I thought, so let's say as a church we all agreed in unity we're going to Swiss Chalet up at the mall after the service. George is going to pay. <laughs> can I get an amen for that? Amen. Okay, so, so we've got unity. We're all going to Swiss Chalet. Uh, that's Okay. But, but then I said, so we're all going to, because of uniformity, we're all going to get in our white accords, because you all have to have the same kind of car. And we're all going to pull out of South Unionville, and we're going to turn, on to, turn uh, left onto Macau, and we're going to go up to Highway 7, and we're going to turn left on Highway 7, and we're going to go along to the lights, the first set of lights. We're going to turn right and right again, and then into Swiss Chalet. Because we all have to do it exactly the same way. See, that's uniformity. But somebody goes, well, just a minute. That doesn't make any sense at all. We're all going to Swiss LA. But if we all leave here at the same time, it's going to be a real mess out there. And by the way, Pastor Paul, once you turn onto Highway 7, why would you go along to the first lights? There's an another entrance into the mall there. We, surely we could go that way. And then somebody who's really brainy would go, well, you guys can all go that way. I'm, I'm going to Swiss LA. We're all going to the same place. But I'm going out and I'm turning right. I'm going the back way. And then there's the guy in the room who's going, why are all you people driving to Swiss Chalet? We could walk to Swiss Chalet. There's a nice path that, with a bridge over the river. Brings you right in behind Pizza Hut. Don't ask me how I know that. Brings you right in behind Pizza Hut. You, you walk across the street and there you are at Swiss Chalet. See, uniformity says you all have to get there exactly the same way. Unity says we have the goal. And here's where we're going and there are all kinds of different ways. Now remember, not how you get to God, not how you get to Christ. There is one way through Jesus Christ. But in Christ, we're not called to uniformity. We're called to unity. There's real danger in confusing the two. Uniformity, uniformity doesn't require any grace. Uniformity just means we all do it exactly the same way. Everybody in lockstep and Uniformity is not what God was about. It wasn't his 
plan for us. There are people with different gifts in a new way. In Revelation chapter nine or five nine, it says, "In heaven, there's gonna be every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and not in lockstep unity, but not uniformity." Is what the church should be longing for. We should long to celebrate the differences that we have. We should long to celebrate the way God has raised us and his giftedness in us and the way he uses us in his church. We should long for these things for the glory of Jesus Christ. So, so then what's unity about? Is really the crux of the message. It's like, so what is it about? Because it's not just everybody does everything. That was right in his own mind. So I want to talk about unity, what I'll call the non-negotiables. Unity, the non-negotiables. And we talk about it around here in different ways. One of the ways we talk about it is like open hand and closed hand things. There are lots of things that in our church are closed handed. We're going to talk about those in, in a couple of minutes. But there are lots of things in our church that are open-handed and we shouldn't be dividing on them and we shouldn't be splitting on them and we, we never, we never should cause a rift between brothers because, because of open-handed issues. We can agree to disagree and that's okay. But there are closed-handed things and those are the things in which we must have unity in the body of Jesus Christ. You might look at it that way. You might look at it this way. There are essential doctrines in our church. Those are the things that we're about. Those are the hills that we're going to die on, the essential doctrines. You get these wrong, you get it all wrong. We got lots of teachers who are in our, our, our church, and thank God for them. I can't imagine what your days are like coming starting in a week or so, just a reminder for you. But um, if, if you're teaching grade one and you get one plus one wrong, it has no eternal impact. But in the church, if we get God and sin and salvation wrong, people spend eternity in hell. And so there are doctrines of the church that are essential doctrines. And those are the, those are the hills we're going to die on. And then there are doctrines of the church that are important doctrines, and they're important for us to think about. Some people like to think that prophecy, and, and it is, it's an important doctrine. Uh, some people want to call themselves a Calvinist, and I'm, I'm glad we've got rid of a lot of badges around here, but, but the reality is they're important things that they believe, but sometimes we get focused into those things and not focused onto the right things. Um, Important doctrines. One might be around the area of uh, communion. How often should we have communion? Some of you come out of a church background where you had communion every week. Others came out of a background where it was like us, we do it once a month. Others came out of a background where they did it twice a year. The Bible doesn't say how often to do it. It just says as often as you do it. So it's important. But we're not splitting the church over it. And we don't always have it on the first Sunday of the month. Sometimes we have it on Good Friday or the second Sunday of the month. And communion's important. And how often we have it is a secondary issue. It's important. A baptism. We believe that baptism should be done by immersion. That's the way that we do it here and that it's for believers, not infant baptism. And so we believe that once you trust Christ, you need to be baptized. Important doctrine. 
But some people have come to our church who, who were baptized as a believer by a different mode. And, and they weren't baptized. They weren't dunked. They weren't pulled back out of the water. It's a picture in Scripture and all the rest, but that wasn't their experience. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, they went ahead and got baptized. We don't make them get back into the tank. Baptism is an important doctrine, but they're not the most important doctrines. And then there's interesting doctrines that people spend way too much time talking about, and that can get as crazy as things like Halloween and whether you should have gifts at Christmas and all kinds of stuff. And they're interesting things to talk about, but they're not the important things. They're not the things we're looking for for unity in the church. So there are things that are negotiable. There are things that are non-negotiable. Another way you might look at it, how we worship is negotiable. Who we worship is not. How we worship is negotiable. We could have somebody get up and do spoken word or do a rap or we could sing a hymn like we did today or contemporary songs like we do. How we worship is negotiable. Who we worship is not. The way we dress, the use of technology, do you have a building or don't you have a building? Do you have certain ministries or don't you have certain ministries? All of those things are negotiable things in the church. When, when we first started, when I first came to Harvest Bible Chapel, we had Sunday worship and home small groups. That's it. And God is growing our church and we have all kinds of things and more opportunities that will come and more things we want to do and see God work. And, but they're negotiable. We can work our way through those, and as God leads and he directs, he'll give us wisdom and strength. And here's another one. Here's a negotiable one. What, what version you use? Uh, lots of people that are sitting in the room right now will have the version that I'm using, the English Standard Version. Uh, that's the version you'll have. Some people won't, and that's okay. I, I was just thinking about this yesterday as I was reviewing it. Realized that in my ministry years, I've used five different versions in my life. I'm not dying on that hill. Some people die on that hill. I'm not dying on that hill. And we can talk about that. As our elders, we've chosen this version. We believe it's the best version for our church at this time. If a better one comes along, then we will go to it. But this is it. It's what we use. We're not dying. We're not, we're not fighting about the King James or the NIV or, or the New American Standard. We're not fighting about those things. We're going to learn God's Word and trust Him and grow in Him. And Those are negotiable things. But there are certain things that are non-negotiable. And these are the ones I really want you to hear about today. And these are the things that we hang our hat on. These are the things we go to the mat for. These are the things we're not giving up. These are the things that our hands are closed on. I'm going to give you eight. Is it totally exhaustive? No, because they're so broad in even what they mean. But here's eight. Eight non-negotiables. The first one is our view of God. Non-negotiable. God is all-knowing Creator, the infinite one. God in three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I could go through all the attributes. We could talk about this point until Jesus comes back and then for the rest of eternity. But we have a high view of who God is. And so people in the world say, well, no, 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 no. There's really just one God and, and we were all just worshiping the same God. No, we're not. If you're not willing to say Jesus Christ is God, then you're not worshiping the God that I worship. And I can't have unity with that. I can't. Because he is the sovereign God. And we have a high view of who he is. And we believe in God. 
Another uh, piece, and we're just going to go through these quickly, obviously, is what's our view of man? A man was created by God. He was a created being and created in the image of God, but, but man sinned, and because of that, he's spiritually dead and has no hope. He can't fix his problems. He's separated from God. That's, that's who we are. It's not like we're all just trying to get to God because he's our buddy and we want to be close to him, and if I can just be good enough, it's all going to be okay. No, 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 man was created in the image of God, but now fell in sin, and he's dead in his trespasses and his sins. And then there's sin, and what we believe about sin. Now, sin separates us from God, and there's nothing we can do to fix the problem. The sin is the curse, the curse on all of creation because of the fall and because of the wanton sin that's in us. Sin is doing what's wrong and not doing what is right according to God's rule, and we have a high view of what we believe about sin. Uh, lots of people in the world, lots of churches in the world are saying, yeah, don't make such a big deal out of that. We have to make a big deal out of it because God makes a big deal out of it. Sin separates us from God. We're going to spend eternity in hell if we don't get that thing dealt with. And hey, church, we need to have agreement on that. I'm not just going to try and do good enough so I'll be okay with God. Sin has real no value. It's really not to be feared or worried about and non-negotiable about sin. Here's a great one. The non-negotiable actually about Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, who was God, fully God, yet fully man. In the incarnation, he came in a virgin birth, and he lived a sinless life, and he died a substitutionary atonement. He died in my place. He died so that I can live. And because of his gift, because of his sacrifice, because of his the propitiation, the satisfying of the wrath of God, and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Not only did he die, he, he rose again, proving he was who he said he was and did what he said he would do. And in him is life. And in him is life abundantly. And Jesus Christ isn't one way to God. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And then we believe about salvation. Such good news for followers of Jesus Christ. Such good news for people who listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone alone. That's what we believe. Uh, we believe that we're separated from God in our sin. We can't fix it. There's nothing we can do about it. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works so that nobody could ever be boasting about it. And that's the gift of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's appointed unto man once to die. After that comes the judgment and we stand before God in the judgment. And what do we say? I'm with him. Look what he's done for me. Look what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And I transferred my trust from what I believed in, what I hoped in, what I thought was right, and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's my salvation. And that gift of salvation is available to everyone who's in the room today. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you can. 
You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't try harder. You're like, I'm too messed up. I'm too, really? Compare yourself to some of the people in Scripture. If you compared yourself to some of the people in the room, it doesn't doesn't matter that the comparison, it matters what Jesus Christ did for you. And you transfer your trust and you put your faith in trust and you're saved. Salvation. Non-negotiables about God and man and sin and Christ and salvation. A non-negotiable about this book. About this book. We believe that this book is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God. It doesn't just contain the words of God. It is the word of God. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's exactly what God gave us so that we could live our lives in obedience to him and bring glory to him as we live out our lives. We have a high view of this book. We have a high view of Scripture. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have that in unity. We have it in unity. We have a view of the church, non-negotiable. Christ is the head. He is the bride. And it's in the church that we learn how we do life together. It's how we support and encourage and help each other on the journey. And one more non-negotiable. We believe in judgment. We believe in judgment. We believe that every man's going to stand before God one day. And every man, is, everyone is going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. But according to Philippians chapter 2, everyone will do that. But the reality is those who are followers of Jesus Christ will say it unto eternal life with God in heaven. And those who've never known Jesus Christ, well, they will say Jesus Christ is Lord, but it'll be too late. It'll be to eternal separation from God in a place that is called hell for eternity. And those are the non-negotiables. If you're visiting today, this church doesn't believe we have a corner on the truth. God's word is truth. There are numbers of churches you could go to in Markham, in this area, that would believe the things that I talk about. And I rejoice in that and how God is working in that. And, and we, we are thankful to God for those things. But then there are churches in our community that the the people will meet together. They won't even open a Bible today. And they'll have some nice story and some thing and they might even go out and do some things in their community. And God's called us to unity. It's where we support each other. It's how we help each other. And the non-negotiables are around Almighty God and man and sin and its curse, how it separated us, and the work of Jesus Christ, and how I am saved, how we do life together, rooted in the word of God, knowing that one day there will be a judgment, and that judgment will either send us to heaven, or will send us to hell. The non-negotiables. Okay, so why? Why, why is this important? Now, take a look back into the text, and there are some internal impacts of unity. In verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And in verse 22, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. There's a impact on the body of Jesus Christ that's an internal. It's internal to the family of God. 
And it's so important that we have unity because we leave, live in a world that's opposed to what we stand for. And we need to have a unity so that we can lean on each other and work with each other and serve together. We are one. And so that's one of the reasons for unity. Another reason that unity is important is the external impact. In verse 23, it says that the world may know Jesus Christ. That unity is important so that the world may know Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, it said that the world may believe the unity that we have in Jesus Christ is, is part of evangelism. It's so the people will understand. Shame on us. When people say, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want to be like that. Look at that church. Those people can't even get along. They split the church over whether you had to have long hair or short hair. They split the church over whether you could, and it's some ridiculous thing. God helping us. And I'm so thankful those things aren't in our church. God helping us that we would have a unity and we would stand on the things that are the critical issues, the things that make a difference. And we're not worried about uniformity, but we're worried about unity in Jesus Christ because it helps us to grow. There's an impact on the world and then there's a great hope for the eternal impact. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me. And Jesus is about to go to heaven where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The unity of the church is critical for our eternity. And God has called us to be people who support and encourage each other. We, we can do it by praying for each other and by loving those who are around us, even when they seem unlovable, by serving one another, by bearing with one another, by sending relief in time of need and helping one another, by 1 John 3, 16, by laying down our lives for the brethren. We're called to unity. Unity in the non-negotiables. And flexibility and love and passion in all of the rest of it. Well, so what? So what? Someone has said, and there's lots of discussion about who actually said this first, doesn't even really matter, said this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. In essentials, Unity, we're going to stand together for those things. In the non-essentials, how you get to lunch today, the road you're going to, lots of freedom, liberty. But in everything, demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. See, the church is messy work, but the church is God's idea, and we're called to it, and we're called to be united in Jesus Christ, the Lord. Colossians 3.14 says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the way that you work in us. You, you um, challenge us. You stir us. So Lord, uh, maybe some people, have, as they've heard this message, that whole thing about uniformity, they found themselves getting a little bit sideways about, no, no, but I want it done my way. God, help us not to be selfish in our walk, but to be selfless in our walk. Help us to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Help us to honor you and your word. Help us to have a high view of the scriptures and a passion to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Well, those are the things we want to unite around. 
that Jesus Christ would be glorified in our church. It's a messy work, but you've called us to it. And so we willingly move forward to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.